come to matters for prayer this evening. We want to remember, first of all, we think of our country in these days facing general election and that matter should be in our hearts for prayer that God will overrule and that will be wisdom uh, for those who will be elected and that they will realize that uh, they may be elected by the, the ballot box but they're under the, the authority of Christ. Uh, secondly, we want to remember the congregations of our denomination who have no pastors, those without uh, an under-shepherd, a, a leader, pray for God to, uh, for those uh, congregations. And pray also then in association with that, men for ministry. Uh, we see men at our college in second year, and indeed we would need more, so we need to pray. And this should be a matter for our constant prayers in these days. So with these matters, let us come before God. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we come to you this evening with our petitions again because we know, Lord, that unless you hear and answer, we can do nothing of ourselves. And we cry out to you, O God, that by your power, you will be at work. Be at work even in our land in these days as A general election has been announced and as we will be moving towards that over the coming weeks, Lord, we long for you to be at work in the hearts of men and women. We pray, Father, that those who put themselves up to represent the people in Parliament will be honest and just and fair. We pray, O God, that if there are those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, that they will be unashamed of the gospel and that they will be prepared to uphold not only the the word about Jesus, but everything that flows from being a a disciple of the Lord, and the law that ought to be enacted on the basis of the law of God. Father, we pray that those who will be elected will recognize that they are not just answerable to the electorate, but ultimately they stand before the judgment through a seat of God, and that they will be answerable before him who is King and Lord of all things. Father, we pray that in the light of that, they would seek to rule in accordance with righteousness. So, Father, overrule in our nation in these days. And, Father, we continue to pray for our churches. We pray for our own denomination. We know, Lord, the need there are, there is for men for ministry. There are the congregations without pastors, opportunities for preaching. And Lord, we pray that you will be pleased to bless those different congregations. Give them leadership. May their elders and the interim moderator know the power of God, the direction of the Lord with them. And may they find great work being done in your name. Lord, also lead them as to whom you might have to serve you in those different places. And Lord, we know that you are the one who is able to supply all the need. We pray, O God, for the three men who are at the moment in training at our theological college. We ask that you will lead them. We pray that they may every day be learning more and more from your truth and being equipped to the work of the pastoral ministry. So, Lord, bless them. And, Lord, may it please you also to call others, 
that they too will give themselves to this work, that in the days to come there will be men ready to proclaim Christ, men ready to go out in the work of mission, men who are zealous for Christ and will bring glory and honor to his name. Father, the need is great. We see our own society breaking down for the lack of an understanding of your word. Father, raise up men who will be reused of you to bring people back to your truth and to renew the understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to apply that in all of life. Gracious God, as we pray for all of these things, we give thanks for your many blessings to us. O Lord God, how privileged a people we are. Privileged with regards to the goods we have in this world. Privileged also with regards to having your word in our own language, in our own hands. What a privilege. May we use it. May we never neglect it. And Lord, we pray that you will bless us as a congregation as we go forward. We pray, O God, that we would know your care and your hand upon us. Lead us and overrule for us. Father, we ask it all through Jesus Christ our Saviour and for his glory. Amen. Please turn again in the Word of God. We turn to the book of Acts. We're going to read from a portion we'll be thinking about shortly, and that is Acts chapter 7, from the end of that chapter at verse 54 into chapter 8 at verse 3. So we turn to the Acts, uh, Acts chapter 7. We're reading from verse 54. Uh, endeavored last week to deal with the first part of the chapter. Uh, this week we're looking at the result, uh, and that is. Let us hear God's word. When they heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women 
and put them in prison. I'm going to end there at verse 3, and we pray that God will bless to us his word. Now, before we come to consider that, let's again sing praise. We turn to Psalm 59. Psalm 59, and we sing uh, stanzas 1 to 5. <clears throat> Psalm 59, stanzas 1 to 5, and here's the psalmist plea. My God, deliver me from those who are my enemies. Set me on high, secure from those who up against me rise. Uh, Stephen might have had that prayer. It was not God's purpose to deliver him, but he, in his martyrdom, acted as a tremendous uh, example to many others. And the psalmist continues in stanza four, No guilt is mine, and yet they run. They plans against me make. Rise up to meet me with your help, and of me notice take. Of course, Jesus had no guilt, but they planned his crucifixion nonetheless. And so he is in view here too. Psalm 59, 1-5, the tune is Stroudwater, 165. Let us praise God together. My God, deliver me Oh. 
Whenever you put two opposing elements together, you can get a bit of a reaction. When you bring circles together, you will get a real reaction. Uh, I always remember in the chemistry lab, putting two things together and getting sparks or in a bit of a... Doing what exactly the teacher said, it might have been more his bang than he wanted but that was the nature sometimes of the uh, things that happened in the chemistry lab at school. And of course, we've had our fireworks displays, and that's the bringing of fire and gunpowder together. And you certainly get a good reaction from that. And you get a very real reaction when you bring someone of faith into a situation where they speak of the living God to unbelievers who not only do not believe, but are hostile to the truth of God. And you will get a reaction. Get a reaction from those unbelievers who think that all of what we speak about in Jesus Christ is out of date and outmoded. And because we challenge lifestyles that they have adopted in their selfishness, they will not want to tolerate us. And I would say it's sometimes better to get a reaction. Sometimes when we speak the word of truth uh, to those who do not believe, we just get that bland, not face. There's neither disagreement nor agreement. And you would just love it if they would at least have some spark of reaction. They're just so cut off from the thought of spiritual life. They just don't want to think about those things at all. And their whole attitude is, leave me alone. Leave me alone. I'll get on. Give me peace. Do what you want, but don't annoy my head. And there are so many people like that. And they need to realize that they are just in as dire a situation as those who rebel violently against God's word because they have not agreed nor come to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Stephen has been in that situation. He had been giving defense to the Sanhedrin of the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is among people. And note, there are people who should have known better and he gets a bit of a bang reaction. We note, of course, that Stephen didn't mince his words in chapter 7 as when he came to his application He has carried his argument faithfully through, as we saw last week. He has declared the covenant God. He has brought lessons from the history of Israel. He has plotted how again and again and again Israel were not circumcised as heart. And then he applies it to the people. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are just like your father's. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, of course, to accuse them. 
and he was quite right in doing so because they had killed the one who was to come, the righteous one, Jesus Christ, and they had put him on a cross. And of course the truth of the matter is that he gets the reaction because he has touched a nerve with these people. These were Jews. These were people who should have been looking for the Messiah and waiting upon him. They knew they had put him to death. And for some of them, some of what uh, Stephen has said has rung true. And so they blow up in his face. And we're going to look at this evening, God willing, and hope it will be helpful, is to look at the reaction that we get as it is recorded in verses 54 through into chapter 8, verse 3. It's very hard to break this whole section up. It leads on from there, but I'm making this break. And really what we see here is wickedness versus godliness. And I'm going to bring out three areas where we see the fury of the wicked against the calm or the wicked over the prayers of the saint even. And then we have the, the burial of the continued violence that is enacted against the people who truly love the Lord. So first of all, I want to think about the first part of these things, the fury of the wicked versus the calm of the saint. Remember, Stephen has preached the word. He has brought the word. And then when they hear those words that bring condemnation to their hearts, that strike to the very core of their being, what happens with these people? Well, we might say that they come into a full-blown rage against what they heard. There's no logical thought. There's no, uh, let me think about that. There's no thinking it through and trying to assess, well, is this just utter rubbish or is there a point of truth? No, rather, when they heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at Stephen. And so they immediately go off and they're so blinded by their ignorant fury that they are to put Stephen to death. And you and I need to note that this was not just for the political leaders. These were not the mayors of the towns or the town council. It wasn't the the, uh, people who were leading in the society. These were the church leaders. These were the people who should have understood that the Messiah was coming. And that's why it is particularly potent for Stephen to say to them, you snake people with uncircumcised hearts, because all that they depended upon was their position, their good works. They felt that they were carrying out all that the Jewish law had said. But the problem was they had lost sight of a heart rendered to God and obedient and listening to his word. They were not following the word. If they had followed Stephen's defensive arguments, they would have been thinking about the Messiah. They would have been asking, I wonder, could it be true 
was Jesus. They should have reflected upon the miracles that he did and all that surrounded him, the teaching. But no, here they are in a rage because this newfangled truth is undermining their position and leaving them looking guilty and in a poor place. And sometimes today when we proclaim the truth and apply God's word and speak of the kingship of Jesus Christ to people, it will in fact be some from other churches who feel most uncomfortable because they have all their trappings of churchianity but none of the heart of following Jesus Christ. Theirs is a social gospel. They don't preach about the judgment to come. They can tell of a God of love, but they don't understand that it takes a complete commitment to Jesus Christ in every area of life. They're prepared to allow sin to go untouched and even applauded. And so when we come to them and say, you're wrong, you are not doing what the word that you proclaim to preach does. They say, oh, but your interpretation's different. You're, uh, this is the way I think. And they may even get nasty in things they say. What are we to do? We must take a check on our own lives. Could it be... as we should be perhaps like the Sanhedrin actually just get annoyed when the word touches a nerve and we won't listen to it because well it's upsetting us when what we should do is embrace it and use it to change our attitude and our lives you and I need to be prepared to listen to the whole counsel of God even when it is challenging us to change us. And when we are truly following Jesus Christ, we need to be prepared for the opposition as Stephen received it. In the face of the trial, Stephen calmly looks up to heaven and in the power of the Spirit he sees the glory of God. Why? Because he is utterly committed to Jesus Christ. He is absolutely assured of the gospel and he knows this is the only thing that matters. These people can rage against this truth all they want. But I know my Saviour. And it is uh, as it were at that moment he was focusing upon the Saviour and he sees with faith Or perhaps was there evidence of some way in which he saw, really? Can't be sure. But he sees Jesus in all his glory. He is so close to his Lord and Master that he depicts him and he speaks of him to these people. Look, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. There he is, the Jesus you crucified is right there. And against all the fury and the vitriol of his enemies, he points to Jesus Christ, calmly and appropriately. The saint 
simply says, well, here's Jesus, and he is on high, ruling and reigning. What a beautiful scene. What a serene view of Stephen in the face, on the teeth of those who are about to kill him. Jesus is everything to him. Friends, what a lesson for you and me. If someone confronts you with some situation and they want to get into a debate about the truth, be careful how you go about it. Keep your view of Jesus. Keep bringing them back to Christ. Don't let them embroil you in anger or or get heated up. Remember that Jesus Christ is the truth and what we believe from the word is his truth and calmly address the issue speaking of the Jesus who is on high and continue to speak to those people even if they grow more and more furious and more and more annoyed in their arguments calmly speak to them of Jesus. Keep telling them that he is a God, he is the one who loved them and died for their sin because they are sinners. And don't be afraid to tell them they're sinners. Because deep down by the Spirit of God they know that that is what they are. This is a matter that we should also turn into prayer. To pray for ourselves. That when we have opportunity in the face of rebellion against God, we will be as Stephen was, calmly focusing on Jesus. And it should remind us to pray for those who are in situations far worse than we will face, maybe ever face. People today who are imprisoned or facing death for the gospel, the persecuted church, pray for them. Pray that they will not be drawn into Satan's ways, but keep the serenity and calmness of the saint and bring that to bear. Because even that is a testimony to the ungodly. They can't understand why by faith we can remain calm and believe and trust all to Christ. They want us to get into a fight and become like them. Stephen shows us the better way. So here's the fury of the wicked against the calm of the saint. Secondly, we have the violence of the wicked uh, against or versus the prayers of the saint. And we come to that as we read on in these verses. Here they are, covering their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, and they rush at Stephen. They want to drown out Stephen's words. They are so against these things that they would do anything not to hear what they ought to hear. In their rage, they rush against Stephen with the intention of putting him to death. And of course, as we read, they do drag him out and they stone him. There's some debate as to whether That was a legal and proper stoning. It seems likely it was passed by the Sanhedrin and the authorities. 
But that's their intention. They are yelling, they are violent against Stephen. Just note one point here, however, that's brought in. It's almost brought in as an aside. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, began to stone him. Then at the end of verse 58 we read, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul was no innocent bystander. When we read of him at the beginning of chapter 8, and Saul was there giving approval to the death, that's not saying that Saul just happened to be there. Saul was more than giving approval. Saul was one of the ones who were actually actively directing these affairs. He may, at that stage, still have been reasonably young, but he was fully involved. He was happy to see Stephen stoned to death. He's introduced here. But note this about him. He had probably listened to Stephen's arguments. He had heard Stephen's words condemning those who had put Jesus to death. And all of these things were later going to bring Saul as he met with Christ on the Damascus road to a new life. It was going to take time. He was going to be instrumental in bringing further persecution. But Saul, Saul is here. A wicked, evil man doing his best to to bring down Jesus and his church. How God can change people. How wonderfully he can take such a man and change him. And so we see the violence against Stephen as stones are hurled upon him. We may not expect such outright anger or violence against us in our country. However, the evil one will use every measure possible to stop the voice of the truth. He will either corrupt the truth or he will shout louder than we do about the truth Or he will bring such noise into the lives of people that they will not hear the truth. And I believe in our day, that's one of the things that we have to battle with. There is so much noise. Radios and television and internet and all of the stuff. People don't have time to sit in the fireside and reflect upon life, upon eternity. Upon the word of God and what it means. Satan loves to bombard people with all of this noise to drown out the voice of God. To stop them picking up a Bible and reading it. To hinder them. And that's what we are up against in our day. Just as these people covered their ears and started shouting. We will not be carried away to be stoned. But there will be plenty who would want us to be put down. But what did Stephen do in the face of this? Stephen prayed. What a great contrast there is here. As Stephen, in the face of all of this, kneels down and prays to God. And of course, 
it is very reminiscent of our Savior himself. As he commits him spirit into the hands of God, he knows he's going to die. He has seen his Lord high in glory and he knows he's going to be with him because these people in their anger are going to kill him. He commits himself to God. And then in deep compassion, he says this, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We are taught to pray for our enemies. Can you imagine Stephen at that moment, even as the stones were raining down upon his bones and his head, and he was praying, Lord, forgive them. He could see the souls of these people lost for all eternity. He knew these were the people of God. These were Jews. These were people who needed the Messiah. Father, Lord, he says, don't hold this sin against them. And if that again, of course, is mirroring words that Jesus spoke from the cross. What a challenge to you and me. We listen to people who make many remarks against us. They speak against us in all kinds of ways. We find it very hard to love them with any depth of love. Here's Stephen. He prays for them. You and I are to pray for our enemies. We are to have compassion for them. Remember, remember those who oppose the gospel are going to go to the depths of hell. And that's something none of us should desire for anyone. Oh, that they might realize the error of their ways. We pray the Lord in his mercy might turn them from their wickedness. That their sinful, callous words, though they may hurt us, cannot separate us from the love of God. And we pray that God might change their ways. I wonder did Saul listen to the prayers Stephen, what an effect that may be had later in the blindness of the Damascus Road as he contemplated his life, those words ringing in his ears, and he had found Jesus. Here's Stephen. What an amazing witness he is. What an encouragement to you and me. We don't have to put up with too much difficulty, really. But friends, do you pray for those who oppose us? Have you prayed for the LBGT leaders who are so vehement in pushing their agenda? So wrong, but so vehement. We prayed that God might change them. Have mercy upon them. Forgive them. And bring them to himself. Could it be that in five, ten years, some of those people who are at the very forefront of that wickedness today will be preaching the gospel because they'll be transformed by God's grace. That should be our prayer and our desire. So let us pray for our enemies, wherever they are. As we think of the persecuted church, pray for those who are doing the persecuting, that God will haunt them by His Spirit and chase them and bring the word to their hearts to change them and bring glory to his name. And so we have the violence of the wicked versus the prayers of the saint. Then, thirdly, we have the persecution by the wicked versus the godly mourning of the saints.
Just looking at the beginning of chapter 8 here, we read of the men who come, godly men, and bury Stephen. But it's couched in midst of continued persecution. Saul was there giving approval to the death of Stephen. And then we read, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Friends, it's no accident that we're introduced to Saul and then the persecution of the church began to deepen. What an, a, a terrible day it was. And Saul was right there opposing the very Jesus whom he would later serve. What wickedness there is. And yet, even as we read those words and the persecution by the wicked, what has happened? Is God out of control? Is God not in control of those things? Of course he is. This event was used by God. The scattering of the church that we read of in those verses scattered throughout uh, uh, Judea and Samaria meant that the good news about Jesus was taken abroad into places where it may not have gone. These people took the word with them. And so to Gentile and to Jew, the message continued. And so the persecution by the wicked was used by God for peace in the hearts of many in the surrounding district as they moved out. And it meant that the church began to permeate out into all of society, to go out and make a difference. The scattering of the church meant the growth of the church, despite the persecution. And how often has that not been the case? Where people have been persecuted in the church, actually the church grows and is pure. The people who come into faith really believe and they hold fast to Christ and they tell others about him and others believe. Where there is little persecution, church can become flabby, unbelieving. And the truth perhaps buried among man's own ideas. And in the midst of all of this, there are godly men burying Stephen, mourning deeply for him. And what do we learn from that? We learn that in the midst of even of death, godly sorrow is a right and proper thing. We know loved ones can be taken and they go to be with Jesus. And we are blessed when that is the case. It's a delight. But it is fitting for godly people to mourn deeply for those who are taken. Because we miss them. We will not be able to speak to them in this world. And there is a right human sadness. And we are to mourn for those Because we loved them. And we would have longed to have had them. 
We know they've gone to be with Christ, as Stephen did, a better place. But still, sorrow for us. These godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him to show us that it is right and fitting to give someone a proper burial and that with that comes tears and sorrows and griefs in this world, yet mixed with the knowledge that Jesus Christ has been exalted and the servant who is his has gone to be with him. What a blessing that is. And that's what we should desire for every one of our loved ones. That's why we should speak to them and challenge them and say, look, if you were to die, I will be sorry. But if I know you're with Christ, how much easier, how much better it will be. But if you're not with him, what a disaster, what hopelessness, what lostness. Sometimes we hold very firm to our emotions. And perhaps too firmly. But here we're taught to mourn for those who do die. And so we should mourn. More than that, we should mourn for the persecuted church. We should mourn for those who are persecuted. Who are put down. Those who are bullied by godless worldly people. Because it is a tragedy that there are people who stand opposed to the very word of the living God. Friends, you and I need to learn again from Stephen, even as he's buried. We must stand for the truth. We must uphold that truth. And if God persecutes us, hold fast to him with calm serenity, knowing that he is Lord. We must pray for those who are against us. Pray earnestly because even those prayers might be the means of turning them to Christ. Amen. We're going to conclude as we turn to Psalm 25. Psalm 25, we sing stanzas 12 to 17 from this psalm. And the tune is Trentum number 207, Psalm 25, from stanza 12. My eyes upon the Lord continually are set. See, when we come up against our enemies, if that's our focus, we'll not let other things annoy us. Rather, we will do the Lord's will. He it is who will release my feet out of the net. Stephen was released from this world. That was the worst the enemies could do, was actually to issue him into the very presence of the Lord that he saw, to see him with the believer today. We want God's mercy. We cry out for mercy for ourselves and for those who are our enemies. They may be great in number, but the Lord is able to deal with them and to deliver us. So we wait for the Lord. Psalm 25, 12 to 17, the tune is Trentum 207. Let us praise.
us pray. Father, we thank you that we, though we face many arrogant, wicked people who want to destroy the truth, are not persecuted with the violence that Stephen suffered, or even that many of the brethren in our world today suffer in other countries. Yet, Lord, teach us that we might hold up our heads and declare the good news of the gospel with calm serenity, learning from Stephen that in the face of those who would oppose the truth, we are to continue to speak the truth with love and with concern. And may we also learn to pray for our enemies. Lord, they may come with all their violence, with their yelling and their shouting to drown out the word. We pray, O God, that you might have mercy upon them that they would see the utter wickedness of their days and the terrible end that they are going to, and that you might bring them, O God, to learn of you. We thank you for the example of Saul, Paul, that even yet, O God, you are able to do that miracle.
of bringing the greatest antagonist to be the greatest preacher of your truth. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us, even when we see people under pressure, to mourn with them and to be at one with them, uh, yet rejoicing that we are in Christ to the glory of his name. Father, bless your word to us. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with God's people now and always. Amen.